0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 84.
1: Hi, I'm Derek, and my wife Carrie and I are the authors of One Bed, One Bank Account Better Conversations on Money and Marriage. There's always great conversations happening here. It's the Read to Lead
0: podcast with our friend, Jeff Brown.
1: Business is all about finding a problem that people are willing to spend money to solve and finding a solution to solve that problem. As fundamental as that sounds, it's not a lesson that we can be reminded of enough. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff.
0: Hi there and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth where each week we sit down with a successful and inspiring business book author and talk about his or her latest book and unique insights in areas like leadership, productivity, personal development, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. Well, in today's episode, we'll be sitting down with Ryan Levesque. He's the author of Ask, the counterintuitive online formula to discover exactly what your customers want to buy, create a massive rating, fans, and take any business to the next level. I plan to ask Ryan about the single biggest mistake marketers tend to make, the two types of questions all marketers need to be asking, how to put the sexy back in surveys, and quite a bit more. I'd love to have you join our private Facebook group made up of other Read to Lead podcast listeners, interaction and discussion about books happening there, every single day to be a part of that and to be added to the group just text the phrase read to lead all one word to 33444 that's read to lead to 33444 remember if you would our sponsors blinkist creates business book summaries in audio and written form you can get 50% off a plus or premium subscription when you visit readtoleadpodcast.com/blinkist use the discount code read to lead that's good for a limited time and also the education site linda where you can get access to every video tutorial on their site free for 10 days when you visit read to lead podcast.com slash linda in 2008 armed with he says nothing but a 450 and fifty dollar laptop an ivy league background in of all things neuroscience and an insatiable curiosity to understand why people buy Ryan Levesque left a lucrative career on Wall Street and later in Shanghai, China, to launch a multi million dollar online publishing business selling information and software using what's now become known as the ASK formula, as taught in his number one best selling book. Now, since then, Ryan has used this formula to help build multi million dollar businesses in as many as 23 different industries, generating over $100 million in sales in the process. And today, he and his team offer training and consulting and implementation services for entrepreneurs and businesses at all levels. His new book and this number one best selling book is called Ask the Counterintuitive Online Formula to Discover Exactly What Your Customers Want to Buy, Create a Mass of Raving Fans, and Take Any Business to the Next Level. Ryan, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, I'm
1: absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well,
0: it's our pleasure. I'm really enjoying the book. Now, as a a dad, a husband, and a CEO, Ryan says he's um, increasingly picky about which business books he reads. And Ryan, so are we. So my question to you then is, why should we read Ask in your estimation?
1: That's a great question. And obviously, I'm biased. But the reason why I think the world needs to know about this formula is we've used this formula to successfully enter 23 different markets online, generate over $100 million in online sales. And right now, today, we're using this formula right now as we speak to generate 52,000 email subscribers every single day. Mm. And I re- the reason why I think the book is worth a read is those numbers sound big, but in the book, I tell the story of how we did it, bootstrapping our business, starting with nothing but five hundred dollars in the bank. And I talk about the story of how we lived initially with a mattress on the floor and two lawn chairs in our <laughs> living room, and how we went from those early lean days to where we are today. So the book is part story, and the book uh, the second half of the book we actually lay out and give away what I consider to be my secret family recipe. And I think you can speak to this as someone who's read the book. I don't really hold anything back. It's all there in the pages of the book.
0: Was it a tough decision to to do that or or did that that come pretty easily to you?
1: It was a tough decision. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And, um, you know, this is what's been responsible for generating all of my wealth. And mm. for the longest time, I kept this pretty private, pretty secret. And it was really only a few high level private clients who knew how I did what I did. And even for them, I kind of kept it a mystery mm. and let the results speak for themselves. And we can talk about this in a little bit more detail. People always ask me, well, why are you giving this away? Like, what's the catch? And it comes down to the fact that three years ago, I got very sick. I was hospitalized, nearly died put on life support for about 10 days. I separated from my family, couldn't see my six month old son. And it really made me come to terms with my own mortality and decide, well, what am I gonna do with my life? What legacy am I gonna leave? If I get out of here, what am I gonna do Mm. beyond just being successful in business? And I came to the realization that I wanted to make a profound positive impact in the world. And the thing that I think that's most valuable that I have to offer the world is this ask formula. And I changed my mission to basically get this formula in as many people's hands as possible to change the way that business is conducted online.
0: Well, as, as you might've gathered from the book's title, uh, surveys are a big part of this process, uh, but Brian, surveys don't sound very sexy. So how is what you're doing different than maybe you know, what we're accustomed to?
1: When most people think surveys, you think, Someone interrupting you at the dinner table, calling you about, hey, we want to take this quick, we want to ask you this quick customer service survey. Uh, How was your experience at the auto shop or with the refrigerator that you just bought? And the first response that you have is, no thanks, I'm busy, let me hang up. The way we use surveys, and I talk about this in the book, and you know this, is people who are taking these surveys, they don't even realize they're taking a survey, So we call it a survey because that's really what it is. But the way it's positioned to the market, the way it's positioned to your prospective customers and to your customers, they don't necessarily realize what they're doing is taking a survey. And it comes down to positioning what they're doing as a prospect self-discovery experience. Mm. I talk about this in the book, and it's really about, you know, in any market, it doesn't matter what market you're in. We're in markets that range from satellite television to home water filtration systems to dog training, golf instruction, tennis instruction, weight loss, uh, uh, weight loss supplements, the list goes on and on. And in every single one of those markets, no matter what market you're, you're in, what is your market's favorite subject? Themselves. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We are our own favorite subject. So if you can appeal to someone's self-interest and give them an opportunity to learn something about themselves that they didn't realize, and you position the questions that you're asking as an opportunity to learn something about yourself, it becomes extremely curiosity-inducing. And I'll give you a great example. And you may have seen this. Have you seen the infographic that BuzzFeed put out where they published the most viral three- word phrases? in all the headlines that they've published. Are you
0: familiar with that? Oh yeah, character something or other, yeah.
1: Exactly, so if you see that infographic, what's profoundly interesting is that the number one three-word combo, so this is any three-word phrase, and BuzzFeed puts out dozens of headlines every single day. The one that consistently won across the board, character, are you. Mm. Those are the three words. So, what does that refer to? Well, you probably know this, Jeff, but it's all those quizzes that you see. What Disney character are you? Mm-hmm. What Lord of the Rings character are you? Why are those quizzes so popular? Mm-hmm. Because people are obsessed with themselves. <laughs> so, if you can ask a series of questions that help uncover something about people's themselves in some dimension of their life, they just cannot resist. And as marketers, the benefit is that we get to learn something about the prospect. And we can use that, A, to persuasive advantage, to speak to them more specifically, but more importantly, we can use it to the consumer's benefit. By knowing a little bit more about the consumer, rather than trying to sell a one-size-fits-all answer, we can sell them something that's a better fit for their unique circumstances. And that's why I'm so excited about this, because this is one of these things that we win as business owners, but more importantly, consumers win as well. So it's a rising tide that raises all ships.
0: And, and more specifically, Ryan, share a bit, of, if you would, about these, these two basic types of questions that, that we as consumers and marketers are, are essentially really, really good at answering and, and what we can learn from, from asking those questions as marketers
1: absolutely. So I'm going to, you, you raise a great question, which is what questions, what types of questions should we focus on asking? And this comes down to a common mistake that people who use surveys who haven't gotten the types of results that we're talking about tend to make. And that's, we tend to think that the answer, the way to figure out what is it that someone wants is just to ask him, ask them, well, what do you want? But the problem with that is that people don't know what they want. And there's so many quotations in history that touch on this. So if you've studied Henry Ford, there's a quote that's attributed to Henry Ford, which says, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. Mm. And if you study Steve Jobs, you, and I'm paraphrasing, if you study Steve Jobs, then there's a quote attributed to him that says, focus groups are worthless. People don't know what they want until they've seen it. And the reason why these quotes are both so popular and why they ring so true is because they are true. There's only two types of information that people are really good at accurately answering. And if you're listening to this right now with a pen and paper, this is something you might want to write down. The first type of information is not what someone wants, but what they don't want. If I were to ask you, tell me, what's your perfect day? That question invites you to invent something, invent the answer. Your mind has to think, well, hmm, if I had to think about it, but it's not truth. versus if I say, I want you to think back to your week. And if there's one chore that you had to do this week that you could just never have to do for the rest of your life again, you could just eliminate it. What would that be? Mm -hmm. So that goes down to asking, what is it that you don't want? So how do you ask that question? well, I call it the single most important question in the book ask because it's one of the first questions you want to, want to ask your prospective market, which is when it comes to XYZ situation, whatever your, the market that you might be in, what's the single biggest challenge, frustration, or struggle that you have related to that problem? So that's the first type of information, what people don't want. Mm. Second type of information is actually even more simple. It comes down to this. If I had asked you, you know, Jeff, what do you feel like eating for dinner tomorrow? What do you want to, what do, you want to do for dinner? Hmm. Your mind starts thinking, mm, what do I feel like? Mm, I, don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe Italian seafood. I don't know. You pick it. Right? Right. But if I said, what did you have for dinner last night? You think back in your mind and you say, oh, oh we went out for sushi or whatever it may be. Hmm. And that goes to that second type of information, which is past behavior people are really good at accurately answering what they've done in the past. So when you're asking questions to your market, and I talk a lot more about this in the book and we go into more detail, it really comes down to asking that the right questions to get the information that's going to be useful. And those are two types of information that people are really good at accurately answering.
0: What's your response, Ryan, to somebody who says, well, this is all great, but I don't have a list yet. I don't have folks I can go to to survey to ask these questions. What what do you say to that person?
1: If you're in that situation, you really have two options. And people have asked me this question before in a different way. They said, hey, Ryan, what if you had to start all over again? What Mm. if you had nothing, no connections, no list, um, but you had the knowledge that you had. And, you know, let's say you had a laptop. You're back to where you started at the beginning. You had $500 in the bank and you had a laptop and an internet connection. What would you do? (laughs) Well, here's exactly what I would do. My expertise is marketing. So I would go on Facebook or whatever the equivalent place that people hang out. and I'd find communities filled with marketers. And I would pay attention until I found out who is it that has an existing audience, who has a large email list right here, right now. And I'd reach out to that person. I'd say, hey, I have an interesting proposition for you. Here's my proposition. Um, I'd love to send an email to your list asking a few questions to find out what is it that people are struggling with related to XYZ problem. And by the way, I'll happily pay you $500 as a way of saying thanks for letting me do this. Now, here's the reason why I'm doing it so you can understand my secret motivation. I'm doing this because I wanna uncover if there's demand for a product. And I'd love to use the answers to help design that product and the marketing around it. Now, if you're open to doing this with me, here's what I'd love to do. After I get the survey responses back and I create this product, I'd be happy to split the revenue from this 50-50. What do you say? Would you be open to doing this as a little experiment?
0: It's a win-win-win.
1: It's a win-win-win. And the thing is, anybody can do that, right? It just requires a little bit of hustle, a little bit of thought, a little bit of upfront research. But with very little money, you will find someone who will take you up on that proposition. If you've got no money, no resources, and you're starting from scratch
0: hosting this this podcast the last uh, almost two years now, Ryan, I've talked to a lot of listeners, a lot of guests, too, who write around uh, the topic of, uh, you know, leaving the traditional workforce and and jumping out on your own. And oftentimes people struggle with, well, well, yeah, that all sounds good in theory, but how do I actually pull that off to me? Buying this book is, is, is a first step toward actually making, making that happen. And, and to that end, uh, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about the complacency you experienced while working at AIG and, and the problem with, as you put it, depending on, quote, the safety net that a large company offers.
1: I think that's a great point. And I can completely relate to this because I'm someone who graduated from college, and I'll say it, I took the safe route. Hmm. I took the comfort and security of a corporate job because I was afraid, to put it in an extreme light, I was, ex- I was afraid of being homeless. Mm. I mean, I was afraid of being out on the street with no money. I mean, I, I knew that that was unlikely to happen, but I was too afraid to just dive in and start a business. Even though in the back of my mind, I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do, quote unquote, someday. Now, at AIG, I had a very high-paying six-figure job, all the lifestyle things that you can imagine. I was living in Asia at the end of my career in corporate America. So I had a car, driver, housekeeper, apartment that was paid for, flying first class, living in five-star hotels, expense accounts. So I had all of my life taken care of. And so I'm very well familiar, uh, around the golden handcuffs and the, uh, safety net as you described it. And for me, it came down to this. It came down to the fact that I didn't want to be dependent. I did not want to be beholden to somebody else. I did not want to be in a position where the only way that I could, that I could increase my, uh, my earnings was to basically get on my hands and knees and beg, to my boss (laughs) and I saw what my future looked like. I saw people in the company who were 30 years older than me and I saw the path that I was on. (laughs) the pinnacle of success in my company, I knew the path that I was on. I knew I had the potential and probably was on that path to reach it. And I didn't want to walk off into the sunset with a gold watch and retire somewhere in a warm climate. And that just be my legacy. At the same time, I was terrified about the idea of losing all the trappings of life. And so, for me, what it came down to, I was fortunate enough at the time. My wife was doing a PhD program in uh, at University of Hong Kong when I was, excuse me, at Hong Kong University when I was in Shanghai, and she was living in student accommodations. So we had two. We were carrying two. Uh, Uh, apartments, the one in Shanghai and the one in Hong Kong. And her apartment was totally Spartan living back like when you were a college student. And I basically said, okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, we're going to scale back and live super duper simple, totally stripped down style of living on purpose. And here's the reason why I said to myself, uh, if you study fear, the thing that cripples us is not the thing that we're actually afraid of, it's afraid of being afraid. Mm. And I said, if I just walk headfirst into living this total Spartan simple life, $50 a week grocery budget, budget, <laughs> give up the five-star accommodations, give up going out tea and just live it, maybe it's not going to be as bad as I think it is. And, uh, this was in 2008 during the middle of the financial crisis. So I was almost, I had an opportunity to leave when my company almost went bankrupt. And uh, I tell that story in the book and it was sort of the kick in the butt. I needed to say, all right, go ahead and do it now. Mm. And that artificial forced quote unquote poverty lifestyle Mm. was so valuable because it eliminated all that fear. And I know today, now that we've got two young boys and a, you know, once again, we have all the nice trappings of life, nice car, nice house, you know, uh, domestic uh, uh, help at home and vacations, the whole nine yards. I know that if push comes to shove and we have to go back to those days where we're living lean, it's going to be okay. Like we're still going to love each other. I have a wife that loves me. I've got two boys that love me and it's going to be okay. And I think going to that is, is almost like a blessing. And so for anybody who's found themselves in that situation where you have to downsize your life or you get laid off, I look at that more than anything else as a blessing rather than a challenge. So that's how I would answer anyone who's finding themselves in that situation or, or who's struggled to leave the corporate safety net.
0: I mm, love that. Well, in preparing uh, for this today, Ryan, I listened to uh, your interview on uh, Confessions of a Pink-Haired Marketer, (laughs) which I loved. Uh, It was very well done. And uh, I had never uh, listened to an episode before. I was familiar with it, but I hadn't listened to an episode, so it was my first one. Uh, But one thing you said really stuck out to me, and and it it was really eye-opening. And I was wondering if maybe you you could share that here too. And it was about the difference between frequency of response and depth of response? Because I know I'm the kind of person who just assume that, well, when more and more people are asking a particular question, then then there's your hint at what, you know where you should go with a product or, or a service. But you say that's not necessarily the case.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's not something that I talk about often because it's sort of an advanced topic, but it's really important. So we talked about, I'll frame it this way, we talked about some mistakes that people make with surveys. And one of them that we talked about earlier is the mistake of asking the wrong type of question. Well, there's another type of mistake, which is a mistake in how you analyze the answers to those questions. And I call this mistake the myth of the FAQ. And basically what that is, is this. If you analyze your survey results, there's a tendency to think that if a response comes up over and over and over again, then that's a clue you should pay attention to. It means that if you get 80 out of 100 people who respond with the same thing, chances are that's where you should go. If they're saying that's the problem that they want to solve, then that's the product that you should build. But there's a fallacy in that. And it's not something that's apparent until you dig into the data. So when I talk about depth of response versus frequency of response, it's actually more important to pay attention to the 20% of responses that have the most detailed, longest, passionate answers Mm -hmm. when you're asking an open-ended question in the context of a survey. And the reason why is because depth of response is a great indicator of buying tendency. And so I'll frame it like this. One of the markets that we're in is the gardening market. And I made this mistake myself when we were looking at what product to build. We put a survey out to our market and the number one question that we got over and over and over again was a question around watering. So people would say, how often do I water my plant? When do I water? What time of day do I water? How do I water my plant, Etc. Etc. And by far, that was the most common question that came up. So naturally we thought, okay, we should build a product around this. Let's build a guide around how to water your plant and we tried selling it. And we did that. We launched to crickets. I mean, it was a complete flop. Mm. So we went back to the data and we said, well, why is that? Well, what we noticed is those frequently asked questions also were all very short responses, simple responses. And when we dug deeper, we found that there was another category of question that came up much less frequently, but the responses that did come through were like people pouring out their life story. Mm. And one of the categories was repotting. So people would say, hey, I tried repotting my plant three times. Every time I do, the plant dies. I've tried everything. I've sterilized my hands. I've sterilized the tools. I buy new potting soil. I wash out the pot. Yet Every single time, there's root fungus that comes up, and I kill my plant. I have to go back to Home Depot, buy another one, and the cycle repeats over and over again. What do I do? that exasperated response, it came up much less frequently, but these were people who gave deep responses. And those deep responses indicate that that person is willing to spend money to solve that problem. So it's the myth of the FAQ. And again, the key takeaway here is to focus on depth of response rather than frequency of response.
0: Well, Ryan, I want to ask, in your view, in your estimation, what is the single biggest mistake, if you had to narrow it down to one, that you see marketers making day in and
1: day out? It's a fundamental one. People tend to start with a brilliant idea, product, some inspiration, rather than starting by focusing on solving a specific problem. At the end of the day, that's what business is all about. And as entrepreneurs, we constantly come up with new ideas. It's like we have this on switch that never goes off, right? <laughs> and I imagine you can relate to that. Mm. But really, it's, business is all about finding a problem that people are willing to spend money to solve and finding a solution to solve that problem. And as fundamental as that sounds, I find it's a lesson that even myself, it it's not one that we can be reminded of enough. And I would say that's probably the single biggest mistake that I see marketers make. Mm. I've made that mistake. I have thought I'm, you know, I'm a brilliant marketer. I know exactly what the market wants. Every time I've departed from away from the ask formula, it's been a reminder that it's the formula that's key not me as a brilliant marketer stick to the formula Mm. and you'll win
0: yeah we've we've heard a lot in recent years about pursuing your passion and and things of that nature my friend uh, jeff goins who's been on the show a couple of times says no that's that's not it you've got to you've got to know what the need is and then maybe you can match your passion with the need but but priority one is is figuring out how to service that need more than anything else
1: I totally agree with that. And I've got two thoughts here. I think number one is you need to find passion in the process. You need to find what is it about serving other people. And again, business is all about helping people solve a problem. Find passion in that process. And that can take so many different shapes and forms. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is something that was a huge lesson for me, because I was one of these people that I was paralyzed when I was thinking about starting my first business. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? What's my life's work going to be? And I dug deep into my past and thought about what do I love? What am I passionate about? What can I spend all day, every day thinking about? And when I did that, I spun my wheels. And so the hack or the trick that I found was I said, okay, this first business is unlikely to be my last business. Mm. So I specifically went after a market that I had no passion (laughs) in whatsoever. And the reason why is it overcame that, well, I know this isn't gonna be the only thing that I do for the rest of my life. And Jeff, I treated that business as what I like to call, quote, unquote, a practice business, mm. where I learned the ropes, learned the process, became good as a marketer. And it almost gave me permission to just dive right in and finally make progress. And for anyone who's kind of at that point where they're thinking, gosh, I can't find something that's, that I'm passionate about, what do I do? Specifically, find something you're dispassionate about and focus on the process. Then you'll learn what aspects of business do you really resonate with. Is it writing copy? Is it communicating with people on the phone? Is it operations? Mm-hmm. What is it that you really like? And then that second business, you can find that intersection.
0: Oh, excellent. I love that. I've never, I've never quite heard it put that way. Thank you. Well, I have a couple of questions, Ryan, I want to ask you that aren't directly related to the book in the few minutes we have left. But before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know?
1: I think the things that we've covered about the Ask formula kind of give you an overview. I would say for anybody who is thinking about starting a business, growing their business, launching a new product, launching a new company, launching a new idea for the price of the book, in my opinion, books are one of the single best investments that you can make in Mm -hmm. terms of ROI. And I think you'll attest to this. The book Ask is a fast read, but it's packed with a lot of tactical step-by-step knowledge. It's not one of these books where you know, to get the real answer, you have to invest in some high-priced program. (laughs) It's really all there in the pages of the book. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that the the book literally came out of nowhere to become the number one best-selling book in the country, according to LA Times, USA Today, Publishers Weekly, and just completely took the world by storm. So if books are something that you enjoy, if you are in business, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I invite everyone to check it out.
0: Speaking of books, Ryan, name for us a couple that you've read maybe recently or are currently reading that have impacted you and share if you can why or how they impacted you as they did.
1: Absolutely. So one that I'm reading right now and that we're using in our company is a book that's called What Motivates You. Here's the reason why I like this book and why it's so in line with what I even teach and talk about in the Ask Formula. The book comes with a quiz, surprise, that (laughs) gives you the opportunity to find out what is it that motivates you in business, in your professional life. And I think there's a tendency, if you have a team, if you work with other people, to think that people's motivation is primarily money-driven. And the quiz unlocks what someone's primary secondary tertiary motivations are so for some people money might not might not even be on the top of that list it might be the opportunity to serve might be the opportunity to learn it might be recognition and so we're taking this quiz throughout our company so I can better align people's positions with what it is that truly motivates them so that's a book that I'm really excited about right now
0: Well, in that this is the Read to Lead podcast, Ryan, uh, I want to ask you if you could narrow down all the leadership lessons that you've learned over the years to just a central theme or a single idea, what would you say?
1: For me, and I know this is going to sound pretty basic and maybe not sexy, (laughs) but the only way I've ever been able to lead and be a leader is to use a sports analogy, Hmm. be the first guy on the field and the last guy to leave. And I was captain of our soccer team at Allstate, uh, president of our fraternity in college. And the only way I've ever been successful, and now as a CEO in our company, has been to be the hardest working guy, to set the tone, to show up so that people see that work ethic and see that dedication, that they're inspired to, to follow that suit. So I would say hmm. it really comes down to, as trite as this is going to sound, lead by example.
0: Well, I know the book has, has just come out, Ryan, but share with us, if, if you can, what's next on the horizon for you? What are you working on now that, that you're truly excited about?
1: That's really generous of you to ask. So, we have I've got two more books in me, and Ask is the first in a trilogy. Ah. Um, the second one that we're already working on right now is aptly titled Tell, (laughs) and tell is all about how you tell the story of your product. Once you've asked your market all this information and you know what it is that they truly want, how do you communicate that with your audience in a way that's authentic and simultaneously persuasive? So that's coming around the corner in, I won't say immediately, but that's something that we've got on the horizon. And secondly, really right now, it's about helping as many people as possible implement the ask formula in their business. Mm. So we have a budding community of over 1000 entrepreneurs, marketers, business owners who are right now, as we speak, implementing the ask formula in their business. And that leads to sort of, I know a question that you, you might ask around what's the ultimate goal? What's the big vision behind all that? Mm. And it's leading to that big vision, which in part is to get as many businesses as possible successfully using the ask formula to benefit themselves and to also benefit their consumers.
0: Well, I can say the, the book has come to me at just the right time as, as I've been struggling the last couple of years in, in really uh, growing my email list, figuring out, you know, what products and services make sense for me to offer uh, in in the line of work that I'm in. And so it's it's helping me answer a lot of those questions and helping me really dig into what I need to decide going forward. And it's been a huge help and I highly recommend it. Ryan, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And I'll go ahead and, and, and just throw out there any book that comes out from you next. You're, you're more than welcome back on the show. We'd love to have you anytime.
1: Jeff, that is so generous of you. I super appreciate it. I'm super thankful for the opportunity to be here. And I look forward to working together soon.
0: If you'd like to find out more about Ryan, simply check out his website. AskFormula.com is the website address. And you'll find a link to that and everything else we talked about, things like the books Ryan mentioned, resources, links, other things we talked about, at the show notes page for this episode. That's the page created just for Today's episode, and you'll find that at read to podcast.com/slash zero eight four for episode eighty four. Please remember our sponsors, Blinkist and Linda. Find out more about Blinkist and remember the discount code READ to lead while it still lasts. Visit read to podcast.com/slash Blinkist for a ten-day free trial of all things Linda. Visit read to lead podcast.com/slash Linda. And finally, your ratings and written reviews are greatly appreciated. It helps get the podcast noticed. And if you give it a five-star rating and leave a written review so we know who you are, we'll mention you by name in an upcoming episode of the show. It's just a small way to say thanks. To do that, you can visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. want to say a special thanks to Caterbait123 who left a recent review in iTunes saying, I love listening to the podcast. Thank you for sharing your love for reading and your gift of communication with all of us out here. Well, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead.